0: Once more, open your Bibles to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 12. Uh, This is the third of what looks like it's going to be four or five sermons uh, from this particular uh, section of Scripture. Uh, One of the things that, you know, as your your mind goes through the steps of preparing for a a sermon, one of the things that kind of popped into my mind is our pace at times in our studies. Uh, There are times, believe it or not, when we gather on Wednesday night that I may go through an entire book of the Bible in one uh, 45-minute session. Uh, There are times we cover several chapters, believe it or not. And then we come to texts such as this, and as I mentioned to you, it's certainly not doctrinally dense but it is applicationally dense. And so we, we've spent a fair amount of time on it because I think it's uh, worthwhile. And, and I've, I've told you, and I, I very freely admit this, uh, out of the many ways that my uh, preaching could be criticized, believe it or not, I know that my preaching can be uh, criticized. I know I'm the greatest expositor on this side of the Mississippi River, but, but still it can be criticized. And I'm not a great application preacher. I don't don't send you out, here are the five steps to doing whatever it is you want to do that week or whatever God wants you to do. Uh, That's just not my strength. My strength is telling you about what God has accomplished in the sacrifice of his son and the application of the power of the resurrection to our life in the here and the now. But those things being said, I think it's important that we think about how is the gospel to impact my life right now as I sit with the gathered people of North Clay and as I'll depart in just a very few minutes and go out this week and and to live under the influence of God's superabundant and super powerful uh, grace. And again, one of the fun things to think about occasionally about any given activity is is it simple or is it complex? Uh, you know, I've told you many times, having uh, worked far more than uh, I wanted to for my dad growing up in the construction business, uh, to him he would say, son, that's just common sense. And I want to say, no, dad, it's far beyond common sense, okay? Now, a lot of things were. But uh, I found... Uh, building and and certainly the the projects that he worked on namely primarily houses and particularly houses in the 70s were, were fairly simple as compared uh, to, to the houses we see being built uh, today. Uh, as you think about things such as sports, uh, golf, uh, there there's all kind of comedy routines about uh, uh, trying to hit a golf ball and uh, uh, you know, it, it, uh, is uh, working on a car simple or complex? Well, for me, it's a very complex thing. My, my son-in-law, uh, Steve, told me yesterday, he said, I'm going to take my grandson, Andrew, out. We're going to take him fishing. Well, again, is that a simple or complex thing? I mean, I, I have seen fishing rods and reels that were more complex and more expensive than some of the cranes I've seen on, on some of the uh, construction site throughout the city of Birmingham. I mean, you know, they got a, a gearing ratio that's beyond my comprehension. And for them, it was, I think you can get some worms up here at Rogers at this little convenience store, and uh, there's what uh, they call a, a crappie rig down in the basement. And I don't think it's been moved since I hung them on those nails almost 15 years ago. Uh, but the line is probably rotted on them. But essentially, for those of us, to, uh, uh, it's a glorified cane pole. It's what what it is. And so, fishing is incredibly simple until you get a computerized, digital, infrared, X-ray, you know, kind of deal. that, you know, on a fifty thousand dollar boat, and you know, you know, you know the drill. So, so again. There's a lot of stuff in two paragraphs. Is it a simple thing to be a Christian? Or is it a complex thing to be a Christian? Is it simply a matter of being? Or at some level is there a doing associated with the reality of the application implication of the gospel? I mean, as I looked at this, one of the things that my daddy, he could send me over the moon. I know y'all. I know I'm a peace loving, gentle guy. Things don't get under my skin, and you know I just roll with the punches. I know that's the way you see me. But he would outline about twelve things that was going to take me the rest of the day for me to do, and he'd start to walk off, and Then he'd turn around, and come back. And I said, "Oh." I won't say what I said, but any, under my breath, in my mind, while you're resting, and then he'd go off again on another tangent. Oh, I, I oh, it, oh, it would infuriate me. But sometimes you 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 look at a passage such as this, and that 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 we're to love and, and hate evil and, 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 and love good and, 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 and outdo each other in our zeal for, for God, and we're to, to so value one another that we show each other, and it, it keeps on going. You know, it, 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 I can't even walk and chew bubble gum these days. And it's one of those deals where, you know, what is it, stand on one foot and pat your head and rub your belly? You know, I, I can't do that. I never could. And so, is it really something beyond our capacity? Or is it something we need to think seriously about? Fanning and nurturing and cultivating in our lives so that God is most glorified in us as his people and we make the most dynamic and dramatic and the greatest impact that we possibly can in the world for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the souls of a lost and dying world. Well, let's look again for the third time at gospel-empowered love. Again, verse 9, Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, Let love be genu- genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. you would pray with me this morning. Father, again, it is through the the power and the inspiration of your Spirit that you have given to us this wonderful, wonderful text. Uh, In fact, the entirety of your Bible. And Lord, we confess that it's by the power of your Spirit that our minds are illuminated for understanding and that, that, our, that our wills and our affections are engaged so that these glorious and powerful truths uh, take deepest root in our lives and that they work their way out in the way that we live. I pray that you'll bless our time together. Again, uh, give us the ears to hear and the eyes to see. We ask these things in Jesus' name amen if you'll remember once again Paul has turned his attention and he will keep it there uh, for uh, what is this 12 13 14 15 16, five chapters five chapters as he includes uh, concludes this marvelous letter uh, to the to the Roman uh, church and in introducing this section he calls upon us and just as we sung uh, we love you because thou hast first loved me again biblical concept again we love because we have been loved first never let us forget that and so having been loved and having heard and and experienced the the forgiveness that god gives through the accomplishment of the lord jesus christ Paul says it makes perfect sense for us to live sacrificially in this world for God and that we, in doing that, shall experience this marvelous transformation and growing in our love for the things of God and our hatred for the things of this world. And that the power of this transforming grace will cause us to, to understand something about ourselves, that we have a way to uniquely contribute to the body of Christ by by grace gifts or through grace gifts. And then in doing that, we apply the great reality of the love of God among and to uh, the people of God. And again, I think the idea is that it should overflow into a, a world that is desperate, for something that is true and powerful and, and something that is worth staking uh, your life upon. And so Paul calls us to a to a very deep-seated, a, a genuine love that can only come from the transforming work of, of God's Holy Spirit. And, and this is to be a, a holy type of love, in that it's characterized by the fact that we're hating. The evil of this world, whether it's moral evil, dancing, drinking, and all that kind of stuff y'all did last night, right? Hating the evil of this world, again, what we call moral evil. I hate hurricanes. Now, did anyone on the eastern seaboard of our United States, did they sin so greatly that, hey, God sent that, Hurricane. I'm sure some, Yahoo, somewhere, yeah, those big sinners over there in the East Coast, God got them. He got that bunch down in New Orleans a few years ago. He's going to get them again. Idiots. Every one of you sitting here deserves God's hurricane. You got what you deserve. Right? And And so, that's natural evil. That is the reality of life in a fallen world. Which, by the way, includes sickness and death. And I'm sick to death. How many times have you heard me say that? I'm sick to death. Of sickness and death. But that will be our lot until the day that Jesus comes back. And so the imperatives of our life, and we looked kind of closely last week, beginning there in verse 12 that we are to rejoice in hope. We do not rejoice in the hope that everything about our temporal circumstances, our relationships, our finances, even our health or the health of our, those we love is going to be demonstratively improved. I, I, I told the group Wednesday night about this. Y'all know I'm easily perturbed. And I told you, I think I would mentioned last week seeing an ad on television when we were down at the beach one of these idiot, yahoo lying, thieving church TV preachers, Peter Popoff. He was selling blessing water. Get you some blessing water. Yeah, buy a, I don't know if you buy a fifth or a six pack or a keg or what it was you bought, but According to the testimonials, you should get a $2,900 check, $5,000 check, $50,000 check. My understanding is that idiot was in Birmingham Tuesday night. And I do not apologize for my French, folks. If you don't like it, so be it. As I went to get my morning biscuit at Jack's. Tuesday morning, very sweet young lady that, you know, calls me Mr. Auburn, imagine that. She's one of those other kind of people. And um, here she is working at Jack's, I'm sure making, what, $7,500,000 a year? Is that about what they make at fast food restaurants these days. And she told me she bought a VIP ticket for that night for her and her sister to go listen to that idiot, Peter Popoff. And it broke my heart. Now, what do you do? Hon, can you come over here and I need to tell you something. I, I mean, because it did. Here, I mean, you've got to be struggling to keep a roof over your head. You've got to be struggling to pay your power bill. You've got to be struggling to keep food on your table. And whatever amount of money that you paid for that, you have. Thrown it away. I'll be nice. Yeah, you've thrown it away for a lie, for an absolute and complete lie. I hate that stuff. It's straight from pit of hell, and it smells like smoke and everything associated with it. And so again. We are patient, and and the hope that I have, as much as I hoped, and have hoped with many of you sitting here today, that your loved one would be healed. How many of you have I stood beside the bed of your loved one and prayed specifically that God would heal them, and He took them home. The tribulations of this life will continue, but our hope is not that all our loved ones live forever. They won't. They will die. Our hope is the hope and the certainty of Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection from the cross, and His returning to rescue us out of this wretched world one day. Nothing more and nothing less. And so we rejoice in the hope of the gospel. We're patient in these days of tribulation like many of you maybe most of you, you ever come on Wednesday night and take a look at our prayer sheet on Wednesday night you're the exception to the rule if you're not on there and if you're not on there you probably need to be I can look at several of you and I know things that are going on in your life and you're not on that prayer sheet but we're patient because the time of our ultimate and final deliverance isn't here We're awaiting. We're we're looking heavenward. Now that is not that old, you know, you know, heaven in the sweet by and by, and I'm gonna sit here on my sweet asset, and uh, what? I say something. It's King James words right there in the Bible. doesn't mean I'm just going to sit here and wring my hands and suck my thumb and pout till Jesus comes back. It means I want to be as effective as I can. Because you know what? Every single person in the world is incredibly likely to experience the realities of life in a fallen world. Yeah. Life in a fallen world. The, the, the death and the sickness and the deprivation and the estrangement from those you love, and on and on and on it goes. And we patiently endure those things with the hope that one day He will make all things right. He will make all things right one day. And so in that process, what do we to what do? We do? While we're rejoicing, while we demonstrate patience, we're constant in prayer. And it doesn't mean we don't pray, God, deliver me from the evil of this age. It's not a bad thing. Even the natural evil. Deliver me from the realities of, a, of an ever-spreading stomach and graying hair and dimming eyes. You know, it's okay to pray those things. <laughs> but you're probably going to experience them. And so, we're constantly in prayer. And obviously, I don't have time to say everything that could be said about prayer. I think the upshot of the passages I I listed is pray. And when you don't feel like praying, pray. And when you feel like praying, pray. And when you wake up in the morning, pray. And as you go through the day, pray. And when you go to bed at night, pray. And when you wake up in the middle of the night, pray. And keep praying. And never quit praying. And the re- two, two reasons that we do not receive what we ask for. James spells it out in James chapter 4. Because you sinfully ask so that your fleshly desires and fleshly appetites will be satisfied and you ask with just completely sinful attitudes, sinful notions. You're holding, as the psalmist says in Psalm 66, you're regarding sin in your heart so God doesn't hear Your prayers. I'm always amazed when people come in and, you know, tell me how much they're in love with whoever the jerk is they bring into my office and, you know, so forth and so on. And they're in love and they want God's blessings on their life. Now, they've been living in immorality for a year or two years or three years. They're doing everything their way. They just want God's goodies. It doesn't work like that. When I, when, I, when I keep on choosing sin over obedience, again, I close the doors and the windows of heaven. And so we're to be in constant prayer. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, and maybe I should be embarrassed about this. Maybe I should be embarrassed about this. I pray a lot for myself. I do. I pray a lot for me. And I would encourage you not only to pray for me, but to pray for you as well. Now, one, one of the things that, that people say to me rather frequently is, Tim, we don't pay you any attention. I'm like, what's about the highest form of praise that I've ever, you know, been pastoring for 20-something years now. That's about as good as it gets. Yeah, we don't pay you any no attention. Again, I try not to take myself seriously. And if I'm out of the, out in the community and out with you somewhere, I might try to pick at you a little bit, okay? It's been known to happen infrequently, but it has been known to happen. But I take what I do right here very, very seriously. Now, I would pray that nothing, none of my silliness and foolishness out in public would ever compromise what I do here, okay? And I'm aware and very, very concerned about those those things. But we should pray, and, and, and one, I pray that the life that I live, and, and Paul seemed concerned with this as well in 1 Corinthians 9, that I would do something so stupid that it would disqualify me, that it would discredit the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that I would have such a colossal spiritual collapse that it would cause people to question the power of, of the gospel and the goodness of God, and I can tell you right now, I served at Philadelphia Baptist Church from 1995 until 2002, just before I, or 2003, just before I came to About 15 years or so earlier, they had a pastor that got involved in an extramarital affair. I was pri- while I don't have a lot of contact with them. My suggestion is the church has never recovered from that failure. Okay? So, again, I, I pray for, for myself that I would have a greater hunger for the, the holy, for the, for the holiness of God, for the power of God, that, that I would hate. See, I find myself really thinking a lot about the pleasures of this world, the things that I'm going to do. And again, I'm not saying that you can never have pleasure in this world. Please don't ever understand. But I'm just saying you can be obsessed with it beyond what is what is healthy. And I pray that God would fill me with the Spirit. I do not, I don't know what amount of time I have left. Uh, my dad died at 79. His dad died in his 50s. My mother's dad died at 64. Uh you know, had an uncle that died at 90. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? You don't either. But I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my life. And I want to be effective. Uh, you know, honestly, I, I show up on a day such as today, and I'm, I'm looking at a lot of empty seats all around the building, and, and you go, God, am I being very effective? Is, 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 does, does anybody really even care? Does it, does it matter? Could I could I be just as, would just as many people show up here if I'd have teed off this morning about 9 o'clock at Grayson Valley? You know, I mean, you do question those things sometimes. But I do want to be effective. And real effectiveness, and, and again, uh, Drew and I were talking about this morning, that I would suggest to you, there's, there's far too many churches, and some of them have Baptists on their doorpost that what's going on, is a rock and roll show and a not, a, not a very well-thought-out sermon, an unbiblical sermon, a weak sermon, okay? That, that you know, it's whimsical notions and, and opinions and all of these things. And so, but the power to accomplish, and again, if, 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 if what God has for me is to pastor a church of six people, Okay, that's what God has for me, okay? But, but the power for transformation of life is beyond me. I cannot transform your life. Only God can. And I believe he only uses vessels that seek hard after him. So what's the number one goal in my life? To seek hard after God. And by the way, that's the challenge of the staff of this church. To seek hard after God. And pray that we're not wasting our time. And you know, there's there's a real sense in true ministry. Now, hear me. Like I say, if I were all about baptism, buildings, and budgets, I'd quit a long time ago. If that were the, if that were the tale of the tape, but true ministry will only be revealed in eternity. That's true. I don't know what God's doing in your heart. I you know. I can't take a stethoscope and say, boy, Jesus is really beating hard in that heart today. I don't know. I'm sure some of you are daydreaming about whatever your next deal is. So I don't know. Only eternity will bear witness to that. And so we should pray those things for ourselves as we, again, confess our sins, as we petition God. To do great things, even heal people that are sick. There's, hey, that's a great thing. That you got up this morning is a great thing, amen. I I know people that didn't get up this morning, don't you? It's a great thing, and it's a gift of God's grace that you're breathing today and you're thinking. Let me let's move forward. I, I belabored that. Second issue is in this area of practical ministry. That, that our love is to be of such, verse 13, that we contribute to the needs of the saints and, and seek to show hospitality. Those things go together. And I'm going to tell you, I struggle there. I struggle there. Now, I'm not talking about struggling and financial stewardship and, and tithing and those kind of things. You know, see, I grew up in a home in which when I got an allowance, and somebody reminded me this week, my allowance was, boy, I'll allow you to live here this week if you do what I tell you to do. Uh, no, and again, my allowance was never, here's your money. Did you do whatever the chores were of that week and you got a dollar or a quarter or something like that. But, you know, we were taught to always bring an offering envelope to church. Really were. I mean, that was just something we did. And and I'm, I I don't know that younger generations are, are doing that I'm not. I don't mean it in that way. But I don't mean to sound harsh, and this is going to sound that way. So please forgive me. Most of the time, I think. Let me let me put that there. When I encounter financial needs, for for example, the financial need is there because of the decisions and the lifestyle and so forth of the individual. They've been irresponsible, frivolous, lazy. And to what degree, you know, Paul says, if a man will not work, what? Give him all the money he needs. Right? That's what you do, isn't it, Glenn? Man won't work, you just I I bet I bet Glenn has got shoeboxes full of cash down there, don't you, in your office? If I come in and, you know, like, hey, I, I don't think I want to work, Glenn, how about a shoe, one of those shoeboxes? You just hand it right over, don't you? Yeah. Don't be acting like Bryce Evans, okay? There's other people that do that sometimes, and you know. <laughs> but, yeah, you don't work, you don't eat. And this day and time, this day and time, you let a man work, and he cuts his finger, and he sues you. <laughs> I mean, you know, I like I said, I struggle with working these things out. But it is a command that we're to be there for the practical material needs. And, of course, as James outlines, particularly those that are orphans and widows, because they're the most at risk. I mentioned the young lady at at Jack's and we helped out a a lady that ministered to Dale uh, back uh, almost a year ago now. And I wonder, and I didn't sit down and go through her budget with her. I fear that she is one of those that's, that's going to live in systemic poverty. She can't make enough money to pay her basic bills. You know, you gotta have a place to live, pretty much. You, you gotta pay the utilities associated with that place. You gotta feed your kids, and and there's some jobs that really don't pay enough to do that. She, you know, she drives a lot in her work because she goes house to house to house all day long, bathing people that can't bathe themselves. And so I'm, I'm I've been concerned for her, but but we are to to be very involved and and, and that was a testimony of the early church that they took care of one another. Now, even beyond, you know, the the practical thing, and, and here here's the thing about sermons that is ostensibly are on love, okay. If I just you know kind of okay, love one another, you know, Christian life very simple: love God, love one another, and it really is that simple, isn't it? I mean, seriously, I'm not I'm not trying to be I'm not trying to trick you. The problem is we don't do either. Not perfectly. So never stand before God and say, God, I've loved you perfectly and I've loved my fellow man perfectly. You'll go to hell, go straight to hell. You won't collect $200 and you will not pass go. Okay? So, but but we are to to love one another in this practical way. And, And sometimes it's a phone call. It's a card. It's a meal. I've told you this before. If you cannot leave your house for one week, one week is an incredibly long time. Trust me, it is. Know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Many of you do. And those things that you do to eliminate, eliminate some of that loneliness is a great testimony and a great ministry to the grace of God and the power of the gospel, and so we, we are to, to to be generous and to share, as Paul writes in First Timothy. And I would consider our church a socioeconomically middle middle class. Now, middle class is a fairly broad kind of thing, okay? But middle class. But but by the world standards and by history standards, we're wealthy. And Paul says basically this in 1 Corinthians six. You rich folks, be careful. If you've got resources, make sure that you're not obsessed with indulging yourself. Make sure that your primary concern is not just to keep getting newer and better and bigger, faster stuff. Okay? Be careful about that. And be aware that there are those around you that are in need and you will give an account. When Jesus speaks of the judgment in Matthew 25, what does he talk about? Those that fed and clothed and visited. Never get it wrong. Never get it wrong. If you're working to earn or keep your salvation, you're going to be a miserable wretch and you're going to have a very distorted understanding of God. But at some level, and in my mind sometimes it's with some difficulty, it really is, to how this working out of the gospel is to be real and visible and dramatic in the fact that I am saved by God's grace through faith. It is a gift of God. It is not of works, lest any of us could brag about it. So again, we're to to love each other, and, and what I started say a minute ago. If I just said, "Okay, y'all love each other," you're going to leave here. Yeah, I just I kind of feel nice and affectionate toward everybody. I'm not I'm not mad at nobody this week. Nobody got my parking place. Nobody got my chair. Everybody smiled and said hello when I said hello, and all those things that we're required to do. But what if I say to you? And I think this is a biblical equivalent. Go out this week and serve one another. You won't get quite so smug about it, will you? Go do something that meets a real need of someone within the course of this congregation. And they don't necessarily have to be here today. Go demonstrate and experience and live out the love of God, the power of the gospel, by serving your brother and sister in Christ. Because you do do love them sincerely without without wax, without any type of hypocrisy. You don't love them uh, because they do good things for you. You're, You're loving them because God loved you first, right? So you go out, and in the way that Jesus demonstrated love and giving his life as a sacrifice, you serve one another sacrificially. Gets a little tougher, don't it? That's why nobody likes me very much. All right, let's move forward. If this is not countercultural, it's certainly counterintuitive. Verse 14 bless those who persecute you. Again, what do we want to do? We're going to show up with a gun to a knife fight, right? Cut me off in traffic one day. Yeah, I dare you. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. You aggravate me, guess what I'm going to do? You're going to get a piece of my mind. Right? You take 15 seconds too long in that line at Walmart. You, 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 you leave out my bacon and egg cheese biscuit when I go through the drive through at Jack. I get home, my hamburger's got mayonnaise on it. Man, that's an unpardonable sin. I'm telling you, that's for the hottest place. That's reserved. That's the hottest place in hell. Bless those in this church that ignore and aggravate you and or. Aggravate you? I guess they ignore you. They can't aggravate you unless that aggravates you when they ignore you. But right? Bless those that gossip about you. Bless the coworker that you want to wring their necks, maybe justifiably so. Bless that boss that you want to stomp in the ground. Bless the head coach of your football team that you want to stomp. Well, not. I'm kidding. But but bless, I mean, that is exactly what we've been called to do. First, maybe first demonstrated in Joseph. How, How much of the gospel do we see foreshadowed in Joseph's very enemies, namely his brothers? Guys, you meant for evil, you meant it to harm me but God's purpose was for your salvation, guess what because of what you did meaning it for evil, you were sinners, you were jerks you meant to harm me, God sent me here and the good news of the gospel is, you're sorry, behinds honey bones are, are not going to starve to death that's blessing those who curse you. And that's exactly, go over to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. One of the most powerful passages to be found regarding the implications of the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. How do I live in a fallen world in which people aggravate and oppress me? And they do! And all God's people Amen. They do. First Peter two, verse eighteen. Servants, and I truly believe that can be transposed as employees. Okay, as an application, servants, employees, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle and and the smart and 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 uh, good managers but even those that you think are stupid and and don't have good sense and shouldn't have that job, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. This is an abnormal thing. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit in in your lives allowing you to, to suffer. For this is a gracious thing. This is a God thing. This is a gift of God thing. For when mindful of God, Mindful of the testimony of the gospel, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it, you endure? You deserve to get chewed out. You deserve to be reprimanded. Well, that's not necessarily a good thing. But what if when you do the right thing, the good thing, you suffer for it and you endure? This is a gracious thing. This is the following the example of our sacrificing Savior, Jesus Christ. He suffered for us and He left us. The great example of his life, his death, his very resurrection. So don't be surprised. Jesus said they hated me first, they abused me first. Final thing, very quickly. Go back to our Romans passage. Y'all are tiring me out today. We were talking. Um, sometimes, you know. I look at Nick Saban on the sidelines. and Again, I I, I don't approve of his vocabulary. I, I think it's kind of shameful. But I think he's a great coach, great maybe the greatest coach ever. And I admire the work ethic and, and so forth and, and so on. And he does remind me of my own dad. Now, my daddy was not hard to get along with at home, I don't want you to think. But on the job, he was volatile. And, and, and he was not vulgar and profane, I assure you of that. But buddy, the the veins bulging in his neck and you know, you know twisting. <laughs> no, no. But I mean, really, he could get intense, and his son can too. And sometimes I do it right here. I can't. I'm sorry. Maybe you know Brian told me a long time ago. You know, when the preacher is hollering, that's bad. That's a bad thing. You know, a lot of people have that emotional response. that, oh my goodness, you know, he's mad at. I'm not mad at you. I've never been mad at you the day in my life that I can think of certainly not as a corporate entity, but I'm passionate about these things because they're true, because they're God's Word. I'm far more passionate about this and about yesterday's football game. Listen, I I may have a trifecta today. The Braves got drummed yesterday. Auburn got beat. Falcons may get beat today. Our starting running backs out. Hey, you know, life's tough. I wish that was the biggest problem. I wish that was the most sorrowful thing in my life right now. I would be one happy dude. I would be one happy dude. But the admonition is to rejoice with those who rejoice. And again, the silly illustration is what? There's half the state that ain't real happy today. And the other half is exceedingly happy. Right? Right? Here's the thing. And and notice, rejoice with those who rejoice. It's hard to rejoice when you're in the midst of sorrow. But here's here's, here's the thing. Don't be so obsessed with the tragedies of your own life that you still cannot rejoice. The glory of the gospel and the good things that God may be doing in the life of others. You know, one of the things, and and, and, you know, Pastor, I, I get called in many times to the sorrows of your life as a pastor that's what I want to do. I you know, I want to be there for you and with you as you go through these difficult things. And I was shocked. I got I think I told you, I got in trouble for criticizing a mega church pastor and kind of question, can he really be a pastor, you know, uh, you know, 75,000 people and all that. And my daughter told me I was a jerk and I am and so, you know, kind of but you know, how how do you demonstrate the love of Christ? And I'm not a I, man. I'd, I'd love for I, I want to be a mega church one day, quite honestly. But still, how, how do you pastor a tremendous number like that? And you know, maybe I'll figure. I hope I get a chance to figure it out. But don't be so consumed with the sorrows of your life that you can't rejoice. And as I say, I, sometimes I'll go in and and, and, and and weep with with those that are that are suffering. And I leave and I drive across town and I want to rejoice at some kid's birthday party or some kid's athletic event or whatever it is I get invited to go be a part of. Those are good things too. And we should do that together. Paul tells us the exact same thing in 1 Corinthians 12 that as the body of Christ we're so engaged with one another that we're rejoicing and we're weeping. We're rejoicing primarily because of the hope and the certainty of the gospel. Jesus told his own disciples, here's what you rejoice about even when they say it's cancer. Here's what you rejoice about when they tell you you're not needed on this job anymore. Here's what you rejoice about when your wife or your husband walks out on you. This is what you rejoice about when a loved one dies. You rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You always, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, have reason to rejoice. Have you ever heard me say transcendent joy? Joy that transcends the fallenness. And folks, I'm here to tell you. We live in a fallen world. I can tell you firsthand, as many of you can, this is a fallen world. But we rejoice. And, and it, it seems the given that we will weep in this life. Because what does Revelation 21 tell us? Jesus himself is going to wipe away those tears. Right? Right? We're going to cry till the day we see him. And we're going to rejoice in those tears as well. Okay? That seems kind of uh, what? What did I say? A minute ago, counterintuitive? but we do. Because I love you in my season of sorrow, I want to rejoice with you. And you, because you love me, want to weep with me in your season of rejoicing. Long before the the birds recorded there is a, a, a season for every purpose under heaven, Solomon wrote, there are going to be seasons of life. There is a time appropriate. And there's going to be a time that sorrow is going to weigh so heavily on you. You do not want to face the sunrise, right, Darcy? Yeah, yeah. There are days like that. And how many more of you could I point and ask that it's the very same question? Yeah. But we are to rejoice with one another that collectively and together, that our names are not just on the roll at North Clay, as good as that is, but our names are written on the rolls of heaven in the Lamb's book of life. And so in that, we rejoice, but yet we recognize that just as our Savior was a man of sorrows, we're a people of sorrows. How many of you have ever thought about uh, You know, probably the only Bible verse any of y'all have memorized. No, I won't be that sarcastic. I apologize. Forgive me. How many of you know the Bible verse Jesus wept? Very good. Any of you ever thought about why he wept? Doesn't tell us. And we want to be very careful when we start projecting i've heard a lot of sermons about why why he wept he was a man of sorrows lazarus was in that tomb because the world was not as it designed to, to be was designed to be that sin and mortality have entered our world and he's one of one of everyone every one of us are going to go into a tomb one day and we're going to experience what we weren't designed to experience namely the separation of our body, from our spirits. You weren't designed for that. Okay? And so, we live as our Savior and we sorrow. But at the same time, one of the great concepts to be found in all of Scripture, and I think about it every time I approach and leave a graveside, death has been swallowed up in victory. Now, I'm not a rook player. I don't know the, the rules. Uh, I, my parents played. They drove me crazy doing it. And, you know. But I know one thing. When the rook goes down, the hand is over. It's the trump card or something. I don't know. It's the king. It's the grand bah or whatever it is. You know. Well, Let me tell you what the rook is. Let me tell you what the trump card is. That our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Went through death, experienced the wrath of God on the cross at Calvary for our salvation. He he has removed the very sting of death, mainly the application of God's holy and just law to our lives through which we would justly be condemned. He has taken away that sting and he has conquered death. He has conquered the grave. He's conquered hell by going through all of that for us. And we live with the certainty, the knowledge of a victory. And that's why we can always, in the midst of our weeping, which, again, our sorrows will last through the night of this world. But our joy, our joy is absolutely certain to come. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you. For your goodness, for your truth, which is applicable and powerful. And Lord, I have no ability to make these things resonate in the hearts of those gathered here. And by my limited count, by the limited knowledge I have, I would doubt that there's a person here that doesn't need the application of these things to their lives. That their lives are characterized by great struggle. By great sorrow. But Lord, again, we live as a people in the midst of sorrow but clinging to the hope of your gospel. May, may, that, may that powerful truth and all of its implications and all of its applications always resonate within our hearts and minds and proceed our very mouths. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.